This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com. Hi, this is Dave Davies of the Kinks, and you're listening to Rock and Roll Archaeology. DIY and How Studios presents Deeper Digs in Rock, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Hello, diggers. Welcome to another edition of Deeper Digs in Rock. Christian Swain here. I am the rock and roll archaeologist, and I'm buying the mic today home in San Francisco. All right. First off, if you haven't guessed, your humble host has a bit of a cold, and it's all in the throat. Luckily, you only need to hear me squeak through the intro and outro since I'm recording those today. Our interview was recorded a few weeks ago, so all good there. But enough about me. How are you? Uh, that's what I want to know. How's life out in Diggerland? Are you doing okay? Are you making it through winter all right? You know, spring is almost here, and I bet all of you cannot wait to see some good sunshine and green fields. Uh, I, I know even out in California here, we've had quite a bit of rain uh, and uh, dark skies, uh, thunderstorms. Um, so I cannot wait for uh, for spring myself. Uh, but seriously... <laughs> this is the point. Drop us a line. Uh, you know, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's the R&RAP on Facebook. Yeah, that's an old one. Uh, and R&R Archaeology on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, I, I know, I know. We, we are all Pantheon podcasts and all that. Uh, but we are still clearing boxes and moving furniture into the new home. So please be patient. Besides, you are original diggers. And we'll always be able to say to your friends in the future, yeah, I remember before the Pantheon podcast days. I want to make a quick shout out to our social media manager, Daryl Alber. Um, he's been doing an amazing job for us uh, in the last year or so. Uh, funny, he started off as a digger and just wanted to be a part of our growing community. Uh, we're very lucky to have him. Okay, okay, so you can always drop us a line there on the social media platforms, of which Daryl uh, handles. Uh, tell us what's up. Let us know what you're doing. Let us know what you like and don't like. Um, give us some insight. Ask us to dig deep into some subject you want to hear about. Um, let me tell you, we read all uh, that you folks send. We may not get to it right away, but we do pay attention and try to incorporate as many of your ideas into our shows as possible. Uh, remember, we are all about the entire history of rock and roll, or as I like to say to the intelligentsia, uh, the entire history of music in the latter half of the 20th century, which I believe, and I bet a lot of you do too, is as important to art history as the Italian Renaissance. So think about all the important work you diggers are helping us to prove to the world at large and to future historians. It's, it's a big fucking deal, and you are all a part of it. Let me say, uh, you can always help us by adding a review on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you are listening to this podcast. 
I cannot tell you how much of a big help that is for us, especially now that we have recently begun to pull shows like this one out of our big pipe where all the shows sit together, uh, kind of like the online magazine or the podcasting magazine that we uh, we thought of, uh, where our entire suite of rock and roll shows have been um, and out on their own. So like baby birds, we are slowly kicking them out of the nest, so we need our friends to provide a wee bit of assistance on the ground. So a good review on some of those shows that are now out on their own would be uh, awesome uh, if you could find the time to do, to do that. So the big takeaway is we love to hear from you. Uh, and really, the reason I wanted to talk about this is we have recently uh, received some very fine notes uh, from some of you over the last few weeks. Uh, Some just telling us what a great job we are doing, some correcting a small bit of information or two, uh, and some helpful hints as well. We all appreciate the conversation, uh, the help, and the community. We're proud of what we've accomplished, and it seems you are all proud to be a part of it. So thank you very, very much. Okay, here's the news. Uh, We have a new show set to launch, and it's a good one. We are adding the most famous groupie in the world to Pantheon Podcasts. And let me say, as I've gotten to know this incredible woman, I can see why so many of the most famous names in rock and roll fell for her. She's bright and funny, sweet and charming, and she just carries a magical air about her. Wow, so it, uh, it sounds like I'm already under a spell. And I bet you all will be, too, when we launch Miss Pamela's Pajama Party in the next week or so. Yes, that's Pamela DeBar is coming to Pantheon Podcasts with a new show that is all about Pamela. Just so you know, she is an accomplished writer and musician and actress. She's lived an extraordinary and adventurous life, and she is going to talk about it all. The show will be a bit of a free-for-all, or like I said to Miss P, no holds barred, and she corrected me and says, no holds debar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So make sure you tune into Miss Pamela's Pajama Party coming up soon on Pantheon Podcasts. Okay, let me tell you about care of the personalized daily vitamin pack made with honest guidance and better ingredients. First, you can find them at TakeCareOf.com. So I've been a vitamin junkie for decades, Uh, not a ridiculous amount or anything. I don't carry a suitcase full and get searched at airports or anything, but I do think they help protect my health in some ways. Uh, You know, call it insurance. It's just a part of my healthy routine and maybe should be of yours, too. So I signed up with Care Of a few weeks ago. It was ridiculously easy. I went through a quick online quiz uh, that asked me a series of questions and then recommended a daily packet custom for my needs. Very easy and convenient. And boom, a few days later, I received a 30-day supply, individually packaged, that I open daily and take. It's so very easy and convenient. I love not having to go to the store to get my vitamins now. And here is a big thing for me. Um, I'm allergic to dairy. Uh, More than lactose intolerance. I am lactose, please kill me with a fork if I eat cow's milk. And a lot of vitamins either include dairy in them or are processed in a facility that also processes dairy. Even that will literally kill me. Well, Care Of takes allergies into consideration with the online quiz. So all my vitamins are non-poisonous to me. 
Isn't that awesome? I really, really appreciated that. So there are vegan and vegetarian options. And to me, that is a big difference with Care Of. So do yourself a favor and go to TakeCareOf.com and begin the survey to give yourself a healthy life. And we diggers get a special 50% off for your first month of personalized Care Of vitamins by entering promo code DEEPER50. Uh, but you need to buy over $20 worth of vitamins. Keep that in mind. Finally, we are always one to promote a good cause, and a portion of every sale goes to Good Plus Foundation. Again, takecareof.com and promo code DEEPER50. Okay, diggers, that is quite a lot for me this week. So why don't we get to the show and meet our special guest? Hey, that's my name, to take your girlfriend's seat on New Year's Eve. Her last boyfriend already took that. I didn't mean, I didn't mean to make you I really want to set this guy up because he is highly influential and yet undeservedly little known beyond the alt-rock crowd. Tyson Mead is a huge influence of 90s alternative rock and grunge. His first band, Defenestration, from the early 80s, had been cited by Kurt Cobain for helping to develop Nirvana's sound. And Billy Corrigan of the Smashing Pumpkins has often said Tyson's second band, Chainsaw Kittens, as being one of his favorite 90s contemporaries. So he really is a seminal figure in the development of what became 90s alt-rock, and he continues to influence musicians even today. Well, he's got a new album set to be released on March 22nd. It's called Robbing the Nuclear Family, and let me tell you, it's a lot of fun. Tyson, who spent a few years in between all the rock and roll, teaching English in Shanghai, brings a couple of friends from that rock scene, PK-14 and violinist Hafeji, along with Matt Duckworth from the Flaming Lips and other guests, for a, a sly and witty good time. I really enjoyed listening to this album and hope you go out and spend some time with it when it drops. So, let's dive in to Tyson Mead. Welcome to Deeper Digs in Rock, Tyson Mead. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Christian. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. fantastic, fantastic. I'm really excited to talk to you. So my first question, on the new album, Robbing the Nuclear Family, uh, the song Tiniest of Guys. <laughs> yeah. Who's Troy? Uh, Troy, he sings on it as well. He sings at the end of the song with me, and he is this just... I love him, but 
there was a moment when things got a little uh, a little strange. Yeah, and, <laughs> and it's and I would like to say that it's pretty much fully explained in the tiniest of guys. So right. anything that I say in that is pretty much exactly <laughs> what happened. Well, there you and go. I had to even edit it uh, to make it, you know, PG instead of like triple X. Oh, wow. So there's a, there's a triple X version that uh, might come down the pike one day. <laughs> might come. It, it's, it's, it's living in my head, but yeah, it may. <laughs> all right. All right. So is, is there a theme to the album? This is, this I believe is your third or fourth solo album. Is that right? This is my, and you know what? Even I forget. This is my fourth solo record. Yeah, People I think you had one in 96 while you were still yeah. with Chainsaw Kittens. Yeah. And then yeah. you had three, I think, since like 2008, right? Yeah. The, well, the first one, I had a soft release in 2000. I mean, the, the, not the first one. The, the second one, I had a soft release in like 2004 and then put it on iTunes in 2008. So, yeah. So the theme... Uh, and we'll probably get more into this. The theme of the album is, you know, for several years I lived abroad. I lived in China, and yeah. for the blink of the eye, I lived in Saudi Arabia until I had to leave under the darkness of night. <laughs> and, really? And there, can... there must be a story there. <laughs> Another triple X. I knew about the, uh, the Shanghai uh, period, but I did yeah. not know about Saudi Arabia. Well, well, there's another triple X story involved with that, so oh. you can just all fill it. You can all fill in the blanks. But the theme, one of the themes of this album is, I guess, is finding home, and also maybe once you've found home, is home really what you thought it might be, or is it? It doesn't live up to your expectations. Are you? And as always, I always get this wanderlust once I'm, you know, I've been stationary in the same place living. I, I, I bought a house like five years ago and I've been in that house for, you know, <laughs> five years. And is that is that in Norman? Is that in Norman, Oklahoma? Uh, my house is uh, right now. I'm house sitting in Norman, but my house is actually in Oklahoma City. I live across oh. the street from Wine Coin, of all people. Oh, oh from, from, from the Flaming Lips, right? Oh, yeah, wow. from the yeah. Flaming Lips. Yeah. So, yeah, so that makes it that makes it a lot more interesting than it would be otherwise. But, uh, but yeah, I get this wanderlust. Well, I've been and, to a few Flaming you know, Lips shows, so I can imagine what that must yeah, be like living next well, to Wayne. <laughs> well, living, uh, yeah, across the street next door is is, is like being at a twenty four hour <laughs> Flaming Lips show. It's pretty awesome. I bet. I bet. I bet. All right. So, uh, so yeah. I mean, yeah. As a touring musician, uh, you know, once you kind of get into that lifestyle, it's it's a it's a hard habit to break, huh? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and once you've you know, once I tasted the fruit of Shanghai, just I I just loved Shanghai. I loved China. I loved the people. The people love America. I was so welcomed, and and it was really hard for me to leave, but I felt like I was just marking time there and I needed to, I, I had, you know, as an artist, you have this drive inside to just, you know, create, create, create. And I was not doing that. And I, I, 
you know, at the end of the day, my body of work is what is most important to me. Right, right. So you left uh, uh, Shanghai five years ago. Is that right? Yeah, I, I, five years ago. I'm horrible with timelines, but I think it was five years ago. And then uh, you, there was a fascinating project you were working on called Shaking Shanghai. Are you still working on that? Uh, yeah, to some extent, it was, uh, you know, what I wanted to do was gap or a bridge of the gap, not gap, bridge of the gap between Chinese and American music. And and, and on this last album on uh, Robbing the Nuclear Family, there are uh, some Chinese musicians from PK-14 and then uh, an, an ex-student of mine who plays violin. And so... I try to do what I can to uh, bridge the gap, the cultural gap, and uh, just it, it just seems like there's a void or whatever it, between us and China that uh, the people who know how amazing the people are embrace it. But I want more people to know that, and and, and that's one of my you know was was my sort of mission statement when I started making music again, um, really five years ago. Yeah, because I, th I think you, you actually just kind of chucked music away for a period of time and you escaped to China uh, to, yeah. te to teach English, uh, uh, you know, just, you know, just do that. Right. That, that's where yeah. it started. Yeah, that's where it started. And, and I, I thought that, you know, I thought I was a young man. I'll make music. And then when I was really young, I thought, oh, and someday I'll teach at a boarding school on the East Coast. And I didn't know that East Coast was like really East Coast, and it was actually <laughs> not eight thousand miles. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah. It must have been a very interesting time to be in China uh, because you know of the, their growth uh, as oh, a, absolutely, as, yeah, as an economic power and a you know a cultural uh, signifier of the modern twenty uh, first century. Because I think you you left just after Chainsaw Kitties broke up, uh, kittens broke up in uh, in two thousand. One two thousand two, right? Well, yeah. Well, I, it, it took me actually. I, I I guess I lived. I moved there like two thousand around two thousand four, two thousand five. I don't really know, but but I kind of kicked around New York for a while, and and was a DJ in Oklahoma for a while for the Spy, and and just did a, a few things until I lucked into a position um, teaching international students in New York at John Jay College and LaGuardia Community College. And from there, I got the opportunity to go to Shanghai and didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I just, I just dove and just had basically no fear. I was like, I'm just going to do it. I, I bought a, re a, a return ticket in case it didn't work out. But after I got there, I just loved it. And you know, I, I was uh, like adopted by several Chinese family as families as their brother or son or, you know, and, and it was just an amazing, amazing experience that wouldn't have happened if the Chainsaw Kittens would have went into this, like, we had this trajectory where we were, you know, going to be as these platinum selling, this platinum selling artist kind of in the vein of the pumpkins, yeah. the James, James addiction or whatever. And that didn't happen, but it actually was the best thing that could have happened for my soul that it didn't happen uh -huh. uh, because I got to go, I got to have this adventure 
And it was sort of like fate doing me a favor going, you know what? You're living so destructively, self-destructively as an artist when I was in the kittens that you're not going to live. So the rug gets pulled out from under you and you have to figure out something else. And, And it was like the biggest favor the universe could have done. For me, I wow. think. It sounds awesome. And it also sounds like a, a lot of adventures in your life. You just kind of go for it. You, uh, you know, there is no plan B and you just, just, <laughs> yeah, just make, make it happen. Uh, so both Billy Corrigan from the Smashing Pumpkins and Kurt Cobain of Nirvana cite you uh, or your band's uh, defenestration and Chainsaw Kittens as huge influences on them. Um, which has earned you the title of the alt rock godfather. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a big responsibility. Uh, I'm sure you didn't jump into music to achieve that. So, uh, let, no. let's get the long and winding road to uh, to how you got that 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 moniker. Now, uh, you you are a sooner native, right? And you you grew I, up, yeah, absolutely. And you grew up in yeah. a house where music was uh, was really significant. Yeah, yeah, I would say that I had quite a few older, I had uh, three older brothers, an older sister, cousins. Uh, My dad, when I was really young, would play harmonica and I'd lay on his belly. That was how young I was. And he'd play harmonica and sing. And uh, my sister was around 16, 17 when the Beatles you know, we're on Ed Sullivan. And so it was a perfect age. And so I see music as comfort because she would come and get me in my, you know, ba- not bassinet. I was like, I was two years old when that happened about. And and she would kind of swaddle me and dance with me to She Loves You or I Want to Hold Your Hand or whatever. And, and I've had this realization not too long ago that music means security to me, I think, in in this way. And then I had older brothers and cousins who listened to Emerson, Lake and Palmer and and Alice Cooper and and all this stuff that was their music. And then when I was like 11, I had to find my own. I I had to find my own music and I found Bowie and the New York Dolls. And I I was just going to ask, what, what, what was the first artist or band that you would call your own? I would say Bowie and the New York Dolls and yeah. Iggy. I, I would say okay. those three and and actually so Aerosmith. that glam that glam, yeah, that glam rock then. period. Uh, uh, yeah, there uh, you know definitely uh, you know Bowie probably T Rex is in there as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, Pretty Things. Uh, you know that whole yeah, that whole that, yeah. early seventies period. Uh, Alice Cooper is a great example too. Yeah. Yeah, an exactly. American glam band that most people don't recognize as as glam as they are because they have yeah, that absolutely. that shock horror side of things. Yeah, yeah, and you know, in my Billion Dollar Babies art show, I uh, I made a Miss Pamela doll uh, from the GTOs because the GTOs were influential on Alice Cooper Group in their early. Oh, they made their clothes. Yeah, yeah, they made their clothes, and so. And then on Facebook, Pamela DeBar, Miss Pamela, actually commented on the doll and was like, wow. <laughs> you know, so I was like, I mean, this is the biggest, like, uh, compliment to you, Pamela, because no one really see, knows the influence you had on that glam side 
uh, the Alice Cooper group, you know. Well, there's the connection between her uh, and Frank Zappa, which, of oh, course, is, yes. is, is where Alice Cooper is first signed uh, as yeah. an act. And, yes, and they're, bizarre, they're yeah. nothing like the Alice Cooper band that most people know. This is a uh, it's a freak scene. They're they are they yeah. are like they are the they are the, the 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 kings and queens of the freak scene uh, yeah, at, yeah. at that time in L.A. And it's not until they move to Detroit and they start hanging around the MC5 and Iggy yeah, and, and Iggy. the studios yeah, that, exactly. they, that they harden their sound and they then they adopt this more uh, kind of uh, uh, horror circus. Uh, yeah, uh, exactly. Feel. Yeah, yeah, which which obviously did really well and they sold a gazillion albums. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and they were able to harness the commerciality or whatever of the, of their bizarre, uh, of what they were doing, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I have a dog crawling. People, of course, won't be able to see this, but I have a small dog crawling all over me oh, at the moment. Oh, very nice, very nice. <laughs> but dogs are welcome on, uh, on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so you mentioned Bowie, uh, obviously, and and, yes. I, and I definitely can hear uh, the the Bowie and, and and maybe even Brian Eno uh, influences. Yeah, oh, in Brian your, Eno absolutely in your, is in your, the your work. It's like my godfather. Oh, right? okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can definitely hear some of that. Uh, and that's nice to hear. It's, uh, you know, a lot of people don't recognize uh, his contributions uh, to, to music. Yeah, and I feel like it, you know, if I can make an Eno album as brilliant as like Here Come the Warm Jets oh, or yeah. Taking Tiger Mountain or any of those uh, pop records, of the, those four pop records, I would be so happy because those are, yeah, those are like my Bibles of like, this is how a pop record should be made, you know, mm-hmm. a pop rock record. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely Eno. Uh, my, a friend of mine uh, calls some of my songs uh, little Eno pocket symphonies, which I uh, think Oh, that's is, very nice. I, Ap- yeah. Apropos, yes. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. So your first real band, uh, uh, uh Defenestration. 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 Yeah. Hard to say yeah. sometimes. Defenestration. <laughs> probably, probably on purpose you did that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you, you guys moved to Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, and and because that's a college town, right? You you yeah, you, yeah, you actually yeah, grew up in like a really rednecky sort of part of Oklahoma, right? Yeah, I, I grew up in Bartlesville, which was like a rich oil town like a small oh, it's where oh, Philip okay. 66 is but it's got the but it's 30 30 thousand people so it's got the redneck element it's got the wealth plus the redneck element you know and, and people in their attitude were way more redneck than like you know uh urbane or whatever you know so certainly so, yes yeah, yeah. so yeah. i i got you know i got taunted and beat up and and you know called the well because you're you're out and proud the, you're out and proud yeah, yeah so yeah i mean but yeah and time, i didn't even know i was out right. you know but i was but you know <laughs> i was this little glam rocker right. you know walking around and with crazy hair and the craziest clothes that i could find and yeah and, and it just did not fit the mold at all of what this you know it, it was very uptight sort of town. I love it now. I got to say, I love it now. You love going but, back and, and seeing it? 
and sing a, and, and like the woman who uh, runs the Chamber of Commerce is a big kittens fan. So it's it's really changed, you know. I mean, and I've obviously sort of become a you know the elder statesman of our of Oklahoma. So isn't it's, that just it's, fantastic? It's bizarre and it's <laughs> fantastic and bizarre and and wonderful. Yeah. Right, right. So, uh, uh, so you moved to, to Norman with the band and a local uh, high school friend uh, to start the band, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. For, yeah, he was at the end of my tenure, as it were, in Bartlesville. I met all these uh, skateboarders. They were exactly like me, even though they just thought the whole like status quo thing was stupid. And so it's like, oh yeah, I guess it is, isn't it? And and so we all we had this kind of gang of kids of like ten kids that one of the one of those skater kids uh, started the band with me. He and actually his brother and uh, and then his brother quit to work for Richard Linkletter, the film filmmaker, and and wow. you know was in like Slacker and stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and so um, so. We had this sort of island of like music security or whatever that, and we and when we moved to, he was going to school in Norman, and so oh, I moved there. Okay. And then and then I thought, well, I'll go to school too, you know. So we were kind of this college band, even though we weren't really a, you know, what you would think of as, you know, we weren't like this REM kind of college band. We were definitely you know, singing songs about drag queens and that sort of thing, you know. <laughs> wow. So uh, and now I know I know with uh, uh, with Chainsaw Kittens, you used to dress up uh, in drag uh, and, yeah, and yeah. really promote that sort of a, like a Hedwig and the Angry Inch sort of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know? But that wasn't the case with uh, uh, Defenestration, right? No, no, not really. I mean, it was more like I was still kind of finding my way and I, I was just you know, and also that was when there were people like Motley Crue dressing up in kind of a and Poison dressing up in kind of a drag thing. So we tried to do the opposite in a, in a, in of what they were testosterone fueled. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 yeah, and like this most bizarre, like how does this even fit? You know, I mean, it was you know so like artificial, and and so so yeah, it kind of like. Over time, I don't know some some good symbolism for the '80s. It may be, uh, yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So you saw in the music scene of the '80s uh, not a lot that you could identify with. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, like Defenestration was definitely a reaction to what was going on to like the Thompson Twins and the Howard Joneses and the Motley Crues and the you know and and what. YouTube became once they put out like, well, once they put out like War and then Unforgettable Fire and and you know and then Sting sort of like became this easy listening thing and so all the music that we had kind of attached the ourselves dream, the to, dream of the blue turtle right <laughs> yeah 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 and I'd been like a police fan yeah. I'd been like a YouTube fan early on and then I saw how they became this, and even the pretenders became this other thing. And it's like, well, we wanna, we just wanna rock. That was our, our thing is we wanted to rock, but we wanted to have, you know, I, I wanted to write like words that meant something too, like 
um, and, and it was definitely a reaction against uh, like the Howard Joneses break off those mental chains and that sort of thing, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, you guys only lasted a few years, I think. Uh, you had yeah. a, like a couple of albums, right? Yeah, we had a couple of albums. And, and you know, it's one of those things that we were so young. I, and Todd and I started writing when we were both teenagers. And by the time we had any... You know, we had our first album, I think I was 22, and then, you know, it's 23, when 24, when the next album, the second album uh, came out. So it almost took so long, or we felt like in our, you know, in our teenage, youth, early right, 20s, right. in our youth brains, yeah. this is taking forever. And, and, and uh, you know, we had a core group that uh, after... After um, after Todd's uh, my writing partner, after his brother left, we got the drummer's brother, who was a freshman in college, and he was just brilliant, Chris Royce, and the drummer Paige Royce. It was Paige Royce, Chris Royce, and Todd and I. And then Paige quit before we even did our first record. So it's kind of over before it even began with differentiation. So too many, too many personnel and, changes. Uh, you, yeah. couldn't, you couldn't get a core that was magical yeah. And, and, yeah, and, exactly. and keep continuing uh, the process and to, that would that would normally lead to, to success. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like you, you have a band, for better or worse, like you two who found, like had their core and it always stayed that way yeah, and even today it, yeah yeah Same even today guys, right. yeah and, and and you know and i feel that way about like the alice cooper group too because it was that that the alice cooper group they were friends from high school in arizona oh yeah and they went all the way to i guess muscle of love together and then alice became what he became yeah. which uh you know I, I can understand why he did it but it just you know the alice cooper group is like just the power, you know. I it, mean, it, it really just... is. Uh, uh, it's a lot of people need to go back and rediscover just how important they are. If they know a little of the history, yeah. you're really amazed that that how how it, it, this is a group of guys that should never have been at the top of the pop charts, and yet they were. And yet they were. I mean, it was <laughs> yeah. like they they just scrambled their way through shock horror and awesome rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Into the, I, I mean, by well, the time they, dollars, yeah. they, they gained their 10,000 uh, proverbial hours, just like the Beatles did in Tucson. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, yeah and, exactly. And, you know, by by uh, playing the, the club circuit there and opening for, you know, these great bands over the years. Yeah, I mean, they definitely, and, and even when they did Pretties for You and Easy Action, you would think, oh my God, this band is going nowhere. They're going to be as about as popular as Elephant's memory, you know? <laughs> and, and then, you know, Shep, I mean, I guess uh, actually Bob Ezrin. Bob Ezrin, yeah, like, yeah. You know, because I guess they already, they already had Shep Gordon, but yeah. then Shep Gordon knew exactly what to do to yeah. get them you know, and, and it was just magical. Well, really. it, it, you know, it was Detroit. It was Detroit. And, and, yeah, Detroit. And, yeah, exactly. uh, and, and hardening that sound, uh, seeing the MC5 and uh, Iggy and the boys. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. That, exactly. So, yeah. And knowing where to go with it, where, right. you know, there were there were other shock bands like Blood Drop that just didn't ever, you know, go past, yeah. you know. Yeah. So a little bit more like what happened to uh, def- Defenestration. Uh, but uh, so then you and, and, and Todd Walker split 
it it then it really became obvious that that was not going to yeah, continue. Yeah, that it yeah exactly that it was like once we split. I realized I'd gotten to the point where I could write songs on my own and didn't necessarily need a writing partner. And so I had enough songs when my buddy Trent linked me with the guys and the kittens who were actually all in high school. I was 25 and they were all seniors in high school. He's like, he, he had, Trent had been a fan of defenestration and, and I didn't really know what to do. And he's like, you know what? You need to play. They're about to kick their singer out you need to play your songs for these friends of mine. They know who they are. And so it was like and sort of I think of they a, knew who you were. I think they, they yeah, were fans yeah. of Defenestration as well, yeah, they'd right? Be, yeah, they'd been fans of Defenestration. And, and, and I knew kind of the workings of the industry, even though the, you know, it hadn't like gone to the point of, you know, it's still like alternative, like no. still like indie underground you know, like to get a record deal for like five thousand dollars was amazing. You know, <laughs> right, 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 and, right. And so it was like a weird thing because there was a contradiction of, you know, it's kind of like tucking my tail between my legs and going, okay, I'm gonna play with these high school kids. But then also once we had one rehearsal, I was like, oh, they're good. They were good. Huh? They're good. Yeah, they're really good. And having these like cute seven 16 17 year olds and me and i would still was fairly you know as fairly young you know looking and and stuff and so we made a demo january of 89 started talking to mammoth records and uh no we we practiced we uh, we formed at 89 january made a demo in february was talking to a record mammoth record uh, like by march so within three months we were already, you know, talking and uh, ready to had, sign, right? Yeah, ready to ready to sign, right. and so uh, so it happened really fast, and they were really excited, and you know that was sort of how the kittens were born. And then a year later, Trent, who hadn't been the band, joined, and as things do, there was a lot of changes in the band. But I always tried to make it like, okay, anytime anyone leaves, we've got to you know, just figure out because yeah. it was a different thing than defenestration. It wasn't like me and my buddies. It was like me and these guys that I didn't well, you, really You know. were definitely yeah. the leader. Uh, yeah, there was, was no question yeah, exactly. uh, about yeah. it at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And they, yeah. Were, they were supporting your vision of, exactly. of what you wanted to present to an audience uh, yeah, out there exactly. in the, the early 90s, uh, exactly. where, where music is beginning to shift. I mean, <clears throat> you know, we yes, talked a little really bit about shifting. the, uh, you know, the wasteland of the certainly the, the later 80s uh, that might have existed uh, musically yeah. out there. Um, but, uh, you know, by the time you get to 89, 90, you start to see the cracks uh, yeah, are, are exactly. forming and you know yeah, uh, you know yeah. obviously uh you know nirvana you know just smashes everything to pieces exactly um, absolutely yeah exactly and and now there's opening there's opportunity for uh for somebody with a, a more unique vision a raw sound like uh like you guys uh, presented right exactly exactly and you know and and we came along, then Jane's Addiction came along, and then Nirvana, you know, and uh, like with Defenestration, it, it, at least, you know, we were kind of first of that sort of thing yeah, that yeah. was like... Well, as we discussed at the beginning, uh, you know, somebody from just outside of Seattle was buying those Defenestration albums as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and 
you know, and it was like the fenestration. The thing is, we we didn't last long, but we we actually made. Yeah, yeah. So it was, and it's it's very nice, you know, as an older person. Chainsaw Kittens is not too dissimilar either. Uh, you, you, you yeah, uh, again, uh, proven very influential uh, without a whole lot of financial uh, success. Uh, uh, I saw yeah, a quote. Exactly. I saw a quote while researching, and and I want to get your response from it. So okay. here's here's the quote. Arguably the best American band who never made it in the heyday of 90s alternative rock. How does that make you feel? It's, it's heartwarming because I, there's a quote that, um, that I read from Patti Smith like years ago when I was a kid. Another big and, hero of yours. Yeah, big hero. And she, she basically at one point said, I, I just did this to communicate, to write, like writing a letter to people. And that's, I was like, oh, that's a really great way to look at what you're doing. And, and, and my music has always been like a letter to people. And I never really knew if it would be a, you know, like some thing that would be a hit or if it would be a commercial be, success. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like a commercial success. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really set out where I know that, you know, there are bands around me, they set out to, you know, sell platinum records. And I didn't even think, you know, because I think of like Patti Smith Horses and it's well, it's highly acclaimed, but when it came out, it didn't sell a whole lot of records. It was just, you know, it's just this awesome record that the few people who knew about it knew about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and it's gone on to uh, you know yeah. like your records uh, have gone on to influence the next generation or the generation after that uh, in their music. Yeah, and, and and I hope so. I mean, I hope that I have some sort of influence and that I stay relevant. And and I also have the like luxury of when I make an album, knowing that I don't have the pressure of like, oh my gosh, a million people have to like you know <laughs> yeah. you know yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, there's no thought of that in your musical process exactly and 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 that's where i felt like you know feel there's, a freedom bit like, there's freedom there's so much freedom yeah and i feel like that's where i i get to be brian you know because he always he gets freedom to do what he wants because his audience are the type that are going to listen and not like abandon him if he does something that he didn't do before, which is what I use as kind of my model of how I do what I do too, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And also Scott Walker is a big like influence of he can just do whatever and people are going to be like, Oh, I love that. Or I don't love it, but it's still Scott Walker and I'm sticking by, you know? Well, there's, you know, there's been several bands or artists uh, over the, the age of rock and roll. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I probably uh, the first being the Velvet Underground, uh, oh, yeah. who Brian Eno, uh, you know, famously said, you know, maybe 30,000 people bought that album, but every one of them went out and started a band. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there is something to be said about, uh, you know, the rock that we build on and uh, the work that you've done seems to be more on that side as opposed to the dollar signs. Yeah. Yeah. I've never really thought about money, which is, you know. A little detrimental to my bank account, but <laughs> <laughs> at the same time, I 
have the free like the freedom and I can and if I wanted to just like tomorrow just go like to whatever Egypt and just live for a few years I could you know I, I mean yeah. I wouldn't and, and so I, I love I and, and speaking of the Velvet Underground like my really my hero from the Velvet Underground I love John Kell but Nico from the you know obviously on the first on the album, first album right like the way she lived her life without the heroin per se, but the way <laughs> she lived her life and, and that she made these albums that were so out there, but I just, they're also part of my, like the marble index and, and uh, desert shore are two albums that I look at and I go, yeah, that's the sort of, I want to, I, I would like to, I don't know if I'm ever that daring but I at least want to try to be that daring. Right, know? right, right. And you've always been that way. This is not something that you now look back on and say, oh, geez, you know, I didn't make a lot of money, but I did all these other things. This, 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 this was, uh, you were cognizant of this at the time that you were, yeah. you were, you were, you know, actually going through this, which, uh, you know, could cause a lot of people a lot of heartache and, and, uh, and trauma, you know, but that's not how you took it. No, no, I, I, I never, you know, I, I just feel really fortunate to be able to do what I do and, you know, not necessarily have to have like a day job or, a, you know, a, a job where I'm doing something I really dislike, you know, and, and, and it's been nice to have that. I mean, I don't have lots of money and I'm always like, I'm always kind of scraping and hustling for money. But you're an artist. But, you, you need to constantly yeah. produce. So it causes that, you to yeah. constantly produce. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's pretty wonderful because I, I, I have a friend who's, he's, he's quite a bit younger. He's a millennial. He's 32. He's just the sweetest guy. And he's like, you can't let your brain crystallize and, and you're not letting your brain crystallize. And that's how I, I feel like, okay, I just got to keep pushing and pushing you know, my artistic boundaries and go as far as I can. And, uh, and, and fortunately the people who love my music are always ready to go wherever I'm going. Uh, yeah, I can see that with my records yeah, and, and, yeah. and that's, I feel really fortunate about that, you know. Yeah, uh, the new record is very rich. Uh, there's uh, there's a lot to be loved uh, about it. A, a lot oh, of, of, of of different uh, and diverse uh, musical ideas are going on, uh, and we'll get into that a little bit. I, I want to continue on here. So with Chainsaw Kittens, there were five albums that you guys did uh, that our right. diggers, our fans, we call them the diggers, uh, should go okay. out and get. So. Is there a favorite one you might suggest or an introduction to uh, Chainsaw Kittens? Oh my gosh, I it's they're my they're like my children. I'll <laughs> I'll give you a you of know course. it'd be just hard to like um, the first one, Violent Religion, is sort of my mental breakdown when is definitely I was having a mental breakdown when Defenestration was breaking up. So it's definitely captures that sort of. Darkness. I mm. darkness, but it, there's some real, just uh, great rock and roll on it too. And then that the next one flipped out in Singapore. Uh, Billy Corgan heard Violent Religion when they were doing Gish, and he played it for uh, Butch Vig, and he said, 
Uh, these guys you, are awesome, right? These guys are awesome, and you need to so, do. You need to work with them. Right? You need, yeah. So, <laughs> so Butch Vig, when uh, right after he had done Nevermind, he produced Flipped Out in Singapore. So it's like the, it's like just a rock, like a great rock and roll record. If somebody wants to just, if you just want to go out and hear a great rock and roll record, that's like the. I, you know, I just love it because it's ball kind of balls to the wall. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we had Angel on the Range, which was uh, like a seven song record that I, I love it too. It's sort of, we had new members. We, we, well, we had new members on each of those records up until Angel on the Range. And that's when we got, um, you know, Trent was solidified. He had been in on the other records, but he was like my writing partner and we had Matt Johnson playing bass and Eric Harmon playing drums and they would continue from then on out. And Eric, we lost a year ago and he's still my favorite drummer in the world. And so when Pop Eris came out, just, I, I would say Pop Eris, a lot of people say that's our masterpiece and I, and I, it was, uh, we signed to Atlantic Records and they, uh, things were going to go through the ceiling and they didn't. And so then we had the self-titled after that, that the um, Darcy and James from the Pumpkins started. Yeah, when you like, signed with them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and they put that out and that's more like, you know, that's more of a pop. It, it's not as rocking as the other records, but a lot of people love it. And then the All-American uh, Chainsaw Kittens, which was our last record, which was we did it a lot like we did our first record, just like a short amount of time. Uh, and I really think it's good, too. But I don't know. Pop Eris might be the one to start with. I don't know. But, yeah, it's hard to say, you know. Well, we just want to start them on, a, you know, a trail and uh, we'll start with the Pop Eris and then let them go from there for them for each one of them. Yeah, yeah, that exactly, exactly. But great, great, great explanation for each one of them. And definitely uh, it, it, it's like the family, you know, there was the baby yeah. and the oldest one. Yeah, and, yeah uh, you exactly. Know. Yeah, <laughs> without a doubt. And yeah, and, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and I, I like to see how they all, you know, where they all live sort of in people's minds, because it is like a child where people have their favorite and I'm like, well, yeah, that's my favorite. And then somebody else is like, Oh, this is my favorite. And I'm like, Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's my, my favorite. favorite too. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 Oh, just like, just like a proud parent, of course. Yeah. Very of much course. like a of proud course. parent. Right. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, since the end of chainsaw kittens, you've released two solo albums, not counting the upcoming, uh, robbing the nuclear family family. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 2008's, uh, kittens and bathrooms and 2004. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. Kitchen and bathrooms yeah. uh, and 2014 like kittens and bath kitchens <laughs> and bathrooms and 2014's tomorrow in progress uh with with some interesting titles like nihilists need love too i love i love that song that's just so awesome <laughs> and, and 2014's um uh, i'm sorry uh, uh, buddy dash uh uh, -huh. uh twisted uh, cognac uh -huh. leeches uh, uh -huh. So I want to ask you about your songwriting technique and the subjects you choose because they they are so different. Uh, you know, how do you go about getting inspired? Oh wow! Let, let's take Nihilists Need Love too. I I was reading about Nietzsche, and 
I was getting, you know, I got kicked out. I'd already got kicked out of Saudi Arabia. So I went back to China. I was about to get kicked out of China. And all these weird sort of nihilistic things seemed to be happening where I just felt like I was kind of losing my mind, but then I was also really paranoid. And so it, I filtered it into that song. Uh, I had read that Nietzsche, you know, like had a breakdown and was kicking a horse. And, and then I, I thought, well, you know, what sort of pornography does, is Nietzsche into? And I'm like, oh, he would be totally into like antichrist porn. And so, <laughs> right. so uh, that was sort of the, I like do the cut up method that, you know, that Burroughs, you know, in, Bowie did for a bit. In yeah. Bowie, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I guess Geisen was maybe the one who started. I don't know who started it, but mm-hmm. but I kind of do that method, but I don't actually physically cut anything up. I just kind play of, play around with it in your brain. Yeah, mm-hmm. in my brain, okay. and and so I think of um, like the Brian Eno titles, like Papa Negro Blowtorch, and and you know, and and Blank Frank, and Dead Fink Stump Talk, and I put my title titles up to myself where I'm like, is this a dead thinks don't talk kind of title? And I'm like, okay, yeah, nihilist need love too is definitely kind of a dead thinks don't talk kind of title, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Uh, So um, uh, since 2014's uh, tomorrow in progress, you've kind of been quiet. Has it been, you've been busy writing the new album? Uh, You know, is is, is that where you've been, your head's been? Yeah, you know, I, I've, I've been I w- I've been working on the new record. I um, also have been painting a whole lot and selling my paintings. I the other huge influence on me more like are like more in the fine arts way is Captain Beefheart on Van Valet. Oh yeah, uh, and I love how he at one point in his life he just really started painting, and so. I've, you know, been painting and selling my paintings. And so that's how I've been living. And, and I, I just love doing these huge abstract paintings. And uh, then I, I just did a show at this, I call it a reefer warehouse, but it's a dispensary uh, in Norman. And I just did my billion dollar babies, babies, Barbies art show there, which is sort of, you know, like I was saying, a, a play on uh, billion dollar babies. And I one of the pieces in that I, I you know, I do my painting, but I also um, I put together this huge oversized wallet that I see as Glenn Buxton's wallet, Glenn from who went, Alice Cooper, yeah, Mm -hmm. Cooper, Mm -hmm. who went and kind of to Never Neverland. It's his wallet as he passed away, passed away, yeah, and just such. I just he's like, you know, uh, I guess everybody in the Alice Cooper group is my favorite, but I just love. There was something original about Glenn's guitar playing. Yeah, yeah, and just his persona, and yeah, exactly, and. So this wallet is as imagined by Pat Boone. And so <laughs> so that was a lot of fun to make this big oversized wallet that's uh, it's like, oh, 26 inches by like 14 inches. So it's it's the size of like a couple like a double record, basically. But I've made it into a wallet and it has, you know, like 
West Side Story sheet music coming out of it because of the schools out. They did uh, Sharks versus Jets or whatever, and and that it has a, a there's actually a nude picture of Pat Boone from Time Life. That's it. Really, there's a nude from picture the, yeah. of Pat, of yeah. Pat Boone uh, sur- <laughs> from surfacing. The 50s. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They used to do that in like the fifties and like, you know, take these. And they'd be in Time Life, which is so, uh, in Life Magazine, which is so bizarre to think. And, oh, and it's big enough for the billion dollar from the Billion Dollar Babies record to be in it as well. So uh-huh. it, it kind of fits the uh, the, the billion dollar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So so anyone who knows that record will to- or knows the Alice Cooper group up to Billion Dollar Babies will absolutely love the exhibit because there's a lot of kind of inside jokes but um so that's that's another thing that i've been spending my time doing so robbing the nuclear family uh it when does it drop is it march it, it yeah it comes out in march i'm not sure the exact date but yeah it comes out in march mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll uh, be sure to find out and tell our diggers here when that yes, comes yes, out so for sure so what about the writing process with that album uh, as we mentioned a little bit earlier uh you know you've had some of your friends from shanghai on on the album how, how did you go through the process or what was different about it compared to your last few albums well you know this album i i started on tomorrow in progress started doing this but with this album I really, for the most part, there's a couple of songs written on guitar, which I was always my instrument. But this time I really did the Brian Eno thing where I just started songs like uh, P.S. Nuclear Forest Boogie and, uh, oh, and uh, Grandsons and especially uh, uh, Motorcycle Boy Number 3, I started them as soundscapes and then I made them into songs where they didn't really have any sort of concrete structure until I put added words mm-hmm. and then I would, yeah. And, and so it was a really, it was a new way of doing it for me uh, that I kind of delved into the last album, but really embraced this album where I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I thought, Oh, I really want to try this, just doing soundscapes where it's not guitar-based because I always, I'd always written everything as like a guitar-based song, and then I'd put additional instruments. But this album, for the most part, I didn't do that way, you know. Yeah, you created these soundscapes uh, <clears throat> with various instrumentation uh, yeah. and sound that you then wrote the lyrics afterwards to yeah, fit uh, within what was presented to you from uh, from yeah. the musical uh, palette. Okay, yeah, all right, yeah. all right, <clears throat> very interesting. Yeah, and I think let's see, I think it's uh, uh, ten songs uh, are uh-huh. on it here, and you've uh-huh. yeah, and you've already made a video for one of them, right? Yeah, yeah, there is actually a video for P.S. Uh, Nuclear Force Dance Boogie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and there's actually a, a video for uh, He's the Candy as well that will surface later, I, I think, too. Oh. And, and we are, I think I'm going to make another video, too, by the, by the time it's out. Oh, great, great. And, uh, and let's see, the record company that this is on is, um, uh, what is the name? What, what, what is the? The, uh, the vinyl came out on. Jet plastic. Jet plastic, right? That's yeah, right. yeah, That's out right. of Detroit. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very interesting. So, are you going to tour this uh, uh, this album? 
I, I'm trying to figure that out. I, I want to make it, whatever I do, I want to make it really interesting. So if I can do a tour where I want it to be like a little more theatrical and a little more, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm all, but I'm also kind of going, okay, what would Brian Eno do if he went on tour? Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. so I want to make it where it really is a different sort of experience than people usually have at shows. Uh, are, are you in the process of putting that together right now? In my head, I am. I'm such a procrastinator as well. So yes, I am. I think. Uh huh. Have you have you <laughs> have you uh, attached musicians to uh, to a touring band? I I have some people that I might use, and I. I'm trying to think of how I can do it as just a one one man band as well. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm trying to figure all that out right now too. All right. So so yeah. So it'll fail miserably or it'll be really cool. What are the other well, I think? Yeah. Uh, well, let's hope that it's 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 really awesome. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I think everybody'd love to see you out there. You're you're known as a as quite a charismatic and dynamic frontman. And uh, we'd like to see you treading the boards here. Yeah, I, w- I would like to, too. I mean, I feel like I still, you know, I, I just love the, you know, the energy of the live setting. And and I love meeting people like it's always nice to meet people that have followed my trajectory or whatever. And, and so I look forward to doing it and I just have to figure out the how to do it. <laughs> So uh, something else that uh, I found interesting while uh, doing uh, some research on you is that you ran for the 5th Congressional District seat in Oklahoma uh, last year. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't know you were a politician. I, I wasn't, and uh, there was so much going on that I felt like with, there was a teacher walkout, and, and our governor was just, like, so just reprehensible when it came to attitude toward the teachers that, you know, we have the worst pay scale in the United States, mm-hmm. were at least, mm-hmm. you know, at the bottom. And the governor, Mary Palin, was saying that they just were like spoiled kids who want a new car. They, they don't deserve a living wage. And so that was the thing that prompted me. When I threw my hat in the ring, I didn't even really realize what I was running for. And I was like <laughs> one of the last people to like uh, – announce my candidacy, but it was another situation where I did something so out of my comfort zone. I actually became friends with the woman, Kendra Horn. Who won. Yeah. Who won yeah. and who upset uh, the, uh, Steve Russell. Steve Russell, yeah. who, uh, uh, which was a Republican. Uh, Ken, uh, yeah. Kendra is a Democrat, and that's yes. the first time a Democrat has held that seat in 45 years. And she and I became friends. And it was really funny because there was a situation that made the Fox News site uh, because, well, she, one of the other candidates had stolen her signs or had, you know, pulled her signs up from like a, I guess it was a public space where they weren't supposed to be, but it's kind of not a good thing to do. And he got caught. Mm -hmm. And uh, Oh, I remember seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, and it happened right after, and all of this is such great fodder for 
Fox News because it happened right after the Pride Parade. Mm -hmm. And so I saw her at the Pride Parade before all this happened. And I hugged her and I was like, oh, you know, I, I wish we could both win. But, you know, you're my friend. And she's like, oh, I love your, you know, campaign video where you say a vote for me does a vote for weed. <laughs> I was like, you, you know, yeah, I, I know. And, and I was like, I can't believe that. You know, Tom, the other candidate did this. And so it made it on the Fox website. And it was like, oh, these bleeding hearts who love each other, you know, the candidates uh, who are supposed to be opponents, they're like actually hugging each other. What is this world coming to, you know? Jeez, that's crazy. But, uh, you know, that, what do you expect from that news channel? Or, excuse exactly. me, FAW news channel. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So, uh, uh, what is next uh, for Tyson uh, Mead? Oh, what is next? Uh, you know, the the album coming out um, in March. Um, mm -hmm. in March. Uh, I'm actually working on a couple of books. I'm, I'm I've almost got the rough draft written for because I feel like people want to know about. At least I need to tell. Um, it's, it's basically a memoir from when I was 13 after I kind of discovered all the music that I was discovering. But like my first real friend who told me, I, you know, I could sing. And, and, and so I'm, I'm working on that right now. Oh, really? OK. And, and it's called Swashbuckler. So uh, I, I'm excited. Is I, that I, how you see yourself as a swashbuckler? Well, it was sort of like my when I was a kid and I was. You know, sort of the outsider. I that's how I saw myself as like a thirteen year old. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So, all yeah. right. So there's there's the painting, uh, obviously. The painting, yeah. The new yeah. album that's coming out, a book that you're uh, you're almost finished with, and, uh, and yeah, and hopefully a tour. And, and hopefully a tour, and then uh, launching my own brand of weed. Oh that, yes, is marijuana yeah. legal in Oklahoma yet? It's medical, but it's like if you say the magic words, you get a medical card. So it basically, I mean, <laughs> yeah, people are toking up everywhere yeah, here. It, yeah. It's like, you know, okay, wait until I stop smoking or stop smoking all the time anyway. Wait until I stop smoking to make it like basically legal. So, yeah, it's like on paper, not legal, but. It actually is legal, you know. Well, uh, you know, we out in California, we had to go through that process ourselves. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Over over a decade, and uh, yeah, know, now it's completely legal. Uh, yeah, you know, there exactly. are 30, 30 states that uh, are well on their way. Uh, it should be uh, uh, federally uh, legal here uh, in the not too distant future. Yeah, it, it just. I mean, it, it, I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but it's just ridiculous that's not legal and and but it's so cool to see this change of attitude like the people you know my my friends who are like in their 70s who would have always been sort of like oh marijuana isn't that you know the devil's weed now it's like oh yeah yeah you should totally launch your own brand you know <laughs> right uh oh well again not too dissimilar from the uh gay marriage issue that we oh, had yeah. to deal with uh not too yeah. long ago and now of course everybody's like yeah whatever that's no big deal yeah, uh, you yeah, know exactly. even though even though the the previous 30 years was was literally a culture war uh, exactly <laughs> so, exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. what is the name of the weed 
It, it's going to be mead weed. <laughs> of course it is. Mead weed. Yeah, right, <laughs> mead right, weed. Right, right. Well, before I let you go, I want to ask you one serious question uh, that I, yeah. I, I, I present to a lot of uh, the artists that we talk to here on Deeper Digs and Rock, and that is this, the state of music today. You know, what, what, what do you see out there? Or what do you see the future might be, in, in, you know, from your perspective? Oh, wow. You know, I know that there's a lot of people really interested in you know, in the, like the grunge, whatever alternative era, like it's almost that the way that I would look at like Hendrix or Zeppelin or, oh, you know, yeah. or that well, that's sort that, of thing. That common 20 year rear view mirror, uh, where, yeah, the, where, the, yeah, where exactly. the next generation is just kind of coming into their own and looking back to their youth, what was yeah. exciting and interesting or, you know, just yeah. above them. So, uh, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I am, and so I'm, answering a lot of questions and and i'm also you know i'm actually gonna the book that i I, the other book i'm working on there's going to be two is the oral basically the oral history of that would be sort of a please kill me type of book this you know from alternative from like 82 to when cobain died but um i really feel like that music is going to keep sort of influencing what is to come but I also feel like I'm like there's so much that is really interesting, like with electronica and different things. Uh, and I feel like bands like Radiohead are, even though you know they're they've been around over 20 years, 25 years, I guess. I feel like bands like that have a trajectory of pushing music forward too, even though most of the time it's not what people are expecting. But so I don't know. I, I just feel like. It's always sort of an ebb and flow with music. And I feel like I don't know if the album will ever be as like important as it was, if it's just going to be songless now, mm. which is for me, that's kind of a shame. But you ask a 15 year old. And that's just how they listen to music. You Singles, know? yeah. Uh, which yeah. was the case, you know, prior to the Beatles, uh, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, it was, exactly, it was exactly. all singles. Uh, so it was we, all singles. Yeah, we've just gone full circle again, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. which is common. So, But, uh, yeah, it, it is a bit of, uh, of a shame that, uh, you know, a body of work uh, released all at the same time uh, to be taken as a whole uh, and digested that way is not really the art form uh, in music today. But it just it's the way it is it's the way it is and and but i feel like you know with people like me who are doing it where it's like robbing the nuclear family really is to me uh a concept album and and a lot of ways because it has a, a, a beginning and an ending and then it has the you know what happens in the middle and i know you could listen to it as like singles or whatever but it really is meant to be listened as an entire piece, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you heard it here first, uh, Diggers. Go and get uh, the new album, uh, uh, Robbing the Nuclear Fam- Family, and listen to it as a concept album. So, uh, hey, Tyson, you know, uh, I-, I had a famous producer tell me that, uh, you know, if you really want to make it in the-, the music business, find out who your hero's heroes are. And I think we did a lot of that today. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I really yeah. appreciate that, and uh, uh, I, I really enjoyed getting to know you uh, on our time here. So thanks so much for being with us uh, today on Deeper Digs and Rock. Oh, th- thank you, Christian. Thank you so much. It was fun. I, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. 
let's give it up to Tyson Me. What a very interesting and fun time we had. I really enjoyed the hell out of talking with him and learning his story and influence on so much great 90s rock and roll. I hope you did as well. When you look at the entire history of rock and roll, it's fairly easy to pick out the beginning somewhere in 1955 or 56 as the Big Bang. It's when the emerging elements of artists developing a new sound along with technology to create and spread it, as well as the new burgeoning and hungry audience all arrive at the same time. You know, the rest of the story is like the universe, uh, expanding wider and further until it cools and collapses. Now, the beginning we talk a lot about uh, in our first two episodes of the Rock and Roll Archaeology podcasts. But the end of the thing we call rock and roll is much harder to pin down. When did the music as hot and vital cool to the point where only the background noise is evidence of its existence? Some say uh, the day the music died uh, wasn't long after the first iteration of the 1950s. Others have said 1964, 73, 1976. I've heard and read many compelling views. Um, I don't think it was any of those dates. Uh, the rock and roll music was still vital and expanding, gaining new audiences, still influencing culture and vice versa. But by the mid-1990s, or certainly by the beginning of the 21st century, it did get cold to the point when contraction occurred. Uh, when it wasn't the cultural driver, it once was, when the kids moved on to other things. To us, that last great movement of rock and roll was the 90s alt-rock, uh, probably started with the grunge movement. It appears the music that came from that time is perhaps the last gasp of the art form that in the end will be a uniquely 20th century movement. And I mean as a creative force, expanding and building new horizons. It is now a thing of the past. Not that there isn't great music to be found out there, don't get me wrong. It's just not the cultural, relevant, and informative touchstone it once was. Um, today, we got to talk to one of the guys who helped birth that final iteration. Anyway, not to leave everyone on a bummer, uh, but I did warn you, I was sick at the top of the show. Blame it on the drugs, yes, legal ones, legal ones. Oh, and uh, the vitamins that are making me feel much better now. Hey, go out and pick up Tyson Mead's new album, Robbing the Nuclear Family, on March 22nd. And if he is on the road, go support him by seeing the show. Because maybe I'm wrong, and rock and roll isn't dead just yet. It just needed a swift kick in the pants again to get the blood moving and the muscles twitching, the lip curl raising back, and I don't give a fuck attitude to return. And uh, let me know what you think. <laughs> okay, this is Christian Swain, and you've been listening to Deeper Digs in Rock, a Pantheon podcast. I will see you next week, and as always, keep up the rockin'. Crazy little monkey, he got so ambitious, to help right the wrongs of social injustice? 
Oxfam America works with people in more than 90 countries to save lives, develop long-term solutions to poverty, and campaign for social change. And we do it with the help of our friends in the music world. The Beatles were Oxfam supporters back in the day. So were the Stones. And through the years, musicians and music fans have helped Oxfam push hard to work for a just world without poverty. Folks like Radiohead, Coldplay, Pearl Jam, DJ Shadow, and many, many more have encouraged their fans to join the effort. You can too. Go to OxfamAmerica.org to learn how you can help. Deeper Digs in Rocks, produced and hosted by Christian Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. All quotes performed by actors unless noted. Playlists can be found at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rnrap.com for more information. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 